and, and, and here we are. Hi, Dustin. Hey, Hooper. Welcome, everybody, to the Hoopercast Movie Hour. Um, it is I, Hooper, and he, Dustin. Here we are to discuss movies and movie-related things, as we are wont to do. Um, uh, this, if you're watching on YouTube, the slate that you see before you is uh somewhat true um but uh the all the all the locations there are accurate except for the phone number that's not true either it's uh that's mostly that's that's mostly that's our stuff that's our info right now that's what we got going on ahead of us tonight we're starting uh, out with a lie starting out with a lie um yeah we <laughs> um we're gonna talk about richard jewell tonight dustin and yeah. uh an american pickle yes in london um <laughs> and uh sorry that's a that's an adult film excuse me um <laughs> we're gonna talk about um some uh a couple pieces of film news i have a quick little tidbit about book i liked that i just finished reading and okay. i wanted to what well, did didn't you just want say to. book i liked instead of a book i liked book i liked want to talk about book i liked Pro- proper noun the the book book talk about book me like me me like book me like book why use lot word when few word do trick um sadly um gotta start off on a sour somber note here um so it was a good weekend uh in a lot of ways for me great weekend with my family had a good um had a good uh, long weekend with them um I hope your weekend was good as well, Dustin. It was, yeah. Um, but uh, it was kind of brought down a little bit, and I, um, in a significant way, with uh, the news. Uh, my wife got push alerts from work while she was while we were, um, you know, um, off the grid, and she read out uh, Chadwick Boseman dies. I was like, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was like, Chadwick Boseman, a Black Panther star. I was like, give me that phone. And mm-hmm. sure enough, the news. Yeah. Um, Chadwick Boseman dies over the weekend. I think he died on Friday. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, Friday. And uh, of colon cancer. Yeah. And uh, this is what I have on the screen right now is the story from KTLA. Whenever, when that first uh, kind of became widespread the news became um uh public um and it pretty much i mean it, by now anyone who knows this news has has read all this stuff and then you know yep. his career so you don't have to actually read this article but um a lot of people are pointing out how um how significant his career was in such a short amount of time yeah from I think it was 2013 was when um, 42 came out. Yeah. Great movie. And it's been seven years. And I believe Mm -hmm. we talked about 42 on the show, Dustin. That might have been you. Probably way back in the day. And um, I don't even, uh, did you ever see Get On Up? I I haven't seen 42 or Get On Up. Yeah. Um, So where he played James Brown, um, mm-hmm. I believe he played Thurgood Marshall. Didn't he? Didn't he play Thurgood Marshall in a film recently? Um, Probably. Well, I say recently in the past seven years. Right. Um, right. And then, of course, most notably, um, or most commercially recognizably, uh, King T'Challa, the Black Panther for the um, for the for Marvel Studios and the Avengers: Infinity War mm-hmm. and Endgame, and um, and would have been Black Panther two um, shooting next year. And it's weird because I was thinking how a couple of weeks ago uh, we were talking about how it was um it sucked that Rachel Morrison couldn't come back and be the the cinematographer on Black Panther 2 but how it was like you know it's for a good reason she's directing her own film and and the schedules might not uh, might conflict and how Ryan Coogler would just have to find another DP and that's not that big of a deal even even though DP is an important job it's not like what people what most people take away from most commercial films. Yep. yep. And it just sucked to reflect back on that and think like, and the star has now died. And yep. that is the most significant person involved in this film is the main character, the star. Um, yep. And what I would call the icon um, yep. that uh, really did a lot for, um, a whole lot of people. I mean, it's such a significant, it's more than a comic book film. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, 
it's a symbol to, you know, black children, black adults, like just people representation, um, on screen and, and being this big example of, um, here's what you can be. Here's what you can aspire to. Here's something you can, you, a figure you can look up to and, and conduct that you can hold yourself to as a standard, not just of the character of T'Challa, but, um, the man, Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman, who was, um, by all accounts of his peers, um, very, um, very much like T'Challa in that he was, um, semi-regal in his demeanor, um, measured, um, uh, uh, studious, um, mm-hmm. calm, peaceful, but strong and mm-hmm. a leader. And, um, and it really sucked to hear that he died, not just because, oh no, Black Panther died, but like this person who meant so much to so many people and who did so much with his platform, um, uh, you just don't, it's, it hurts more when those people, um, pass away, uh, yep. especially from something like colon cancer. Where, where were you when you heard the news? I was just sitting at home, um, and, uh, and John actually texted it. It was a John, John texted it, right? Kellen? Somebody, I, I somebody Kellen, texted yeah, it. yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, that, that was the first I heard about it. And so immediately, like basically, uh, I, I showed the phone to my wife and she immediately went to Google and of course found out it was true and all this stuff. And so, um, you know, I think the thing that sticks out to me most is, um, you know, his most, uh, notable role, um, I I guess that's arguable, but is, is T'Challa. Um, and, um, and that was in 2016 that, uh, Captain America civil war was released, which was also the year that he was diagnosed with colon cancer. So, um, Basically, the entire time he was in the public eye, he had colon cancer yep. um, and was secretly fighting that battle. Um, I remember um, it's probably been it was probably before the the outbreak of covid. Um, I remember seeing a, an interview or a photo or something of him and thinking he looks thin, but he must be doing that for a role for the five months. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, and so I didn't really think anything of it. Uh, I know a lot of people are going back and looking, you know, he did like a live stream, um, in April, um, to raise some money, um, for COVID relief. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he, he looked thin. Um, and, uh, but, but what's, what's so impressive, I think is he did, he did, Again, arguably his most important work, his most um, culturally significant work um, during the time that he was fighting a battle that presumably nobody knew about. Um, you know, my initial thought was, oh, well, I'm sure Marvel knew about it. Right. Right. But by all by all accounts, they did not. Um, there, there's a statement by Ryan Coogler, um, which I think was released this morning Um and and he basically said like this the past few months I've been writing words for him to say, um, and so this is kind of a shock, and um, and so yeah the idea that that maybe nobody knew about this uh, apart from his friends and family, um, but you know his workplace associates may not have known, and and a how how brave that is for him to say you know what. Let's make this about the work. Let's do the work. And, you know, I, I don't need uh, everybody kind of, you know, worrying about me. And and and, and, and I feel like that's um, commendable and respectable that he said, I'm going to give you the work um, and and I'm going to I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, which, by the way, just so happens to be so good that you didn't even know I was sick. Right. And, um, and, and, and that's impressive. It's respectable. Um, and you know, I, John and I saw 21 bridges in theaters, um, last time he was up in town. And so, um, like, you know, I've, I've been, you know, consuming his work for years now and, uh, and yeah, he's a good bit older than us. I mean, not a lot older than us, but a little bit older than us. Um, but you know, I consider, I would consider him a part of, um, 
young Hollywood yeah. and, 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 you know, this up and coming Hollywood. And so, um, the idea that, uh, you know, there's only a couple, I guess maybe one other Chadwick Boseman movie that's yet to be released is, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a sad thing. And so, you know, it's, it's just sad because he had a lot to give, um, beyond black Panther, beyond black Panther two and three and well, however many more Avengers movies he does. Right. Um, he had so much more to give the world of cinema. Um, so it's a, it's a sad time. Um, uh, but also, you know, one you can look back on and say, you know, that's a man that was working at the top of his game, um, doing things that were important to him and doing them at, at an incredibly high level. Um, I have the the Ryan Coogler full statement on the deadline article mm-hmm. linked in the show notes if people want to go read that. So it's a it's a really good um, a really good uh, I say article. It's a gr- it's a great um, statement. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, like you you quoted part of my one of my one of the most impactful sentences there, which is he says I have. Um, the director, Ryan Coogler, says, I haven't grieved a loss this acute before. I spent the last year preparing, imagining, and writing words for him to say that we weren't destined to see. It leaves me broken knowing that I won't be able to watch another close-up of him in the monitor again or walk up to him and ask for another take. Um, I I wondered if, and there's also a really great uh, tribute that Marvel put together for him over the weekend that's all on YouTube, that's also in the show notes, Um and I wondered if Kevin Feige at least knew, if someone at Marvel, like high up, knew, because my, my thought would have been, of course, at a certain point you start thinking about what are they going to do? Like, how are they going to keep the franchise going? And of sure. course, that's not nearly as important as, you know, what his family is going through. But at a certain point, I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I know it's already, I'm sure it's already been discussed. Like, okay, what does this, where does this leave us? Because this film was supposed to shoot in February. Yeah, it, they yeah. weren't far away, and yeah. it, it it makes sense now with all this stuff coming about that perhaps like the the director, crew, producers, or to an extent didn't know about his illness. I have to assume that. I, well, I don't have to assume, but I, I I would want I would I would think that if he told anyone at Marvel, it was probably just Kevin Feige. Like, yeah, like I've diagnosed with cancer and you may want to have a backup strategy if it goes south, but maybe he didn't, maybe that's not the kind of dude he was. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, if you, if you extrapolate that out to, you know, our careers, if if we were at a point where we felt like, look, I'm still able to do my job. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to give it up and I'm not going to walk away from it or ask them to do something, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, kind of brash in, until I know what's happening. And, and the thing about cancer is you, you don't know what's happening. Um, so it, it could very well have been that he just said, I will work, you know, and I'll do the job that I've been hired to do. And, you know, if, if it goes South then they'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, and, and that would be completely fine. He doesn't owe Kevin Feige or Marvel an explanation as to why he's sick or even a heads up that he is, you know, that's personal. Um, and as long as he's able to do the job that they hired him to do, then it's not their business. Um, and you know, I don't know. Yeah. And, 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 and again, like uh, to, to go into this even further, like, it's not like, it's not like, you know, with the news of his death, anyone at Marvel's like, Hey, what the hell? Way to put us in a yeah. bind, man. Right. You know, right. The, uh, yeah. It wasn't his and, wasn't his plan A either, you know. And and it also feels like it, let's say he did tell Feige or somebody. Yeah. I, I would imagine the response wouldn't be, okay, yeah, we'll come up with something else yeah, in case Exactly. It, it, I, I think it would it would have been, ah, you'll beat this, you'll be fine. Yeah, and, exactly. And then and then <laughs> yeah. you just keep on going. You d- and, yeah. and go as long as you can. To to advise them of an exit strategy would be to admit that you're not gonna get through it. And it's right. and it's not how he faced uh his disease. Um it's it's scary because like on like a on like a more personal level like this is one of those cancers that's really taking down a lot of people in that age group right now because um um 
uh, I, I know two people who have the, who have that same cancer or a similar cancer mm. and it's, it's, it sucks. And uh, all of the, all of all cancer is bad, but like there's, there's some cancers that have a higher rate of mortality than others. You know, you find skin cancer on yourself, you, you probably get it just cut off or, you know, um, yeah. other kinds, but there's, there's, there's certain kinds of cancers that like when, when you're in a certain stage, if it's a certain kind of cancer, it's very, very bad. And colon cancer is one of them. And, yeah. um, I don't have all these exact figures in front of me, so I'll just speak vaguely that it's one of the cancers that is under screened in Mm -hmm. the age group that it's starting to affect um, because of insurance premiums and, and the age group of colonoscopies. And essentially what can happen with people is they don't start getting screened for it until they're already deep into the stages of it being past yeah. the point of no return. So for yeah. a lot of these unfortunate people, you get, you get a colonoscopy or you start having, or, you know, or even worse, you, you start having very horrible pain and symptoms. And then you go in, they go, Oh yeah, you're at stage four colon cancer. And you're yeah. like, well, I'm 41 years old. And they're like, yeah. yeah. And then it's, not good news and it's not a good prognosis and all you can sit there and think is like i wish i'd caught it sooner but if your doctor is telling you you don't have to get a colonoscopy until you're 50 yeah you're why would you go in why would you go in and if you said i want to get one anyway and they go okay cool except that your insurance doesn't cover it it's like what am i supposed to do and so we already you know again, we knew these people already. So this subject was already, you know, uh, not far from our minds in that sense. And then to hear that that's the kind of cancer that took down Chadwick Bozeman, that's just, it's another, uh, not to turn this into anything, you know, away from the man himself, but like, this is a problem. And I, I don't know, you know, again, like, I don't know what I can do to, to solve it, but I, I think I, I think, I think it just, that's part of another thing that's what's so sad about it is, you feel like on the one hand it's preventable, like, you know, there was something that could have been done systematically that could have, you know, stopped this. But at the same time, Chadwick, Chadwick Bozeman, I don't, I don't know his circumstances. And all I know sure. is he had plenty of money to fight it and it didn't matter. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so it really just comes down to is early detection. Is this one of those things that early detection that needs to be much more in play? Um, yeah. That's just another sad uh, statistic um, for this disease, and it's it's really sad because he's he was a person who meant a lot to a lot of people. Um, so that's sad news uh, indeed. Yeah. So Chadwick Boseman was forty three years old, and uh, but he is immortalized uh, on film and in culture forever. Yep. Um, and, uh, and I think that someone said, uh, I can't remember who, who, which post this was, but you know, with anyone, with any great person that you admire who dies, the, the, the thing to do is always, they say, um, the best way you can honor them is emulate them. And so for mm-hmm. him, it was kindness, thoughtfulness, you know, all the virtues that you look up to them for having, if you really want to honor their death, you need to carry on their, um, their best qualities in yourself. So, yeah. um, yeah. So that's Chad Bozeman. Yep. Um, I'm going to transition out of that um, a little bit before we hit uh, the movies um, by talking about some other Marvel news that's um, neither good nor bad, just it is uh, because palate cleansers. Um, this is just a teeny little article on Digital Spy um, about um, Peyton Reed, the director of Ant-Man and the Ant-Man and the Wasp saying that uh, Ant-Man 3 is going to have Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly as equals. Um, and the reason, again, it's, it's, it really is a nothing article. I only brought it up to, to, to mention how empty of a statement that is. Um, if you recall, the listeners, but I liked Ant-Man. That was a mm-hmm. fun movie. Um, yeah. I, I, even, I love Ant-Man more um, in the movies that he is an ensemble part of like civil war and, mm-hmm. uh, Avengers Endgame. Yep. I like him much more in those capacities. And I was not a big fan of Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, because, uh, they seem to be leaning too far on, 
um, you know, putting the wasp at the forefront that they kind of turned the title character into a side character and didn't really sure. further his story or his emotional arc, uh, any, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. I, I like Ant-Man and the Wasp more than the first one. Really? I do. Whoa. Um, I, 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 I didn't know first, this. Yeah, I thought the first one was just okay. It's yeah. in the lower. It's in the lower rankings. So is Ant-Man yeah. and, the, and the Wasp probably, but but I like it better. Um, if only because it seems it, it seemed to have more of a solidified tone and voice yeah. in the first one. Um, that's and, fair. And be, being an ensemble, it's like they found their footing a little better yeah. in the sequel. And, and well, they, 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 they went through all stages of production with the same director. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That helps. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, between, between Ant-Man and the Wasp and, and, um, and both of, um, the Pims and, uh, and then you have, uh, Lawrence Fishburne and all like, it just felt a yeah. little more complete to me. Well, um, I, I don't know if there's, I'm not sure where, where this comment comes from, from Peyton Reed, but he just, he, sure. he said the characters will be regarded as equals in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like he's almost saying like, Oh, don't worry. We'll help. It's almost like he's, he's responding to criticism that there still was not enough of hope Van Dyne in the, in the second film mm. to where I'm saying like, no, there, there was too much of her. There was, there was not balance. Like yeah, yeah. They, they weren't exactly a team as much as her just doing stuff and him being kind of left out of the, left out of the operations for a lot of the movie. Like yeah. it's, it, it, it was, it was frustrating on the level of like, um, was Order of the Phoenix, uh, where um, for a lot of the movie, Dumbledore doesn't talk to Harry because yeah. um, he knows that Voldemort to protect him. Yeah, like is is sharing a mind with him, and he he needs to keep information from him, um, so he doesn't he doesn't endanger the larger plan. And the difference with that book and that movie, um, and Am and the Wasp is in 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 that Dumbledore at the end sees like, oh, it's wrong to to keep yeah. you in the dark like that. So at least there at the end of the film where he's participating, there's like a catharsis. Um, sure. but I felt that same frustration and no, no release from it. Um, watching Ant-Man the Wasp, because I just felt like this plot is just, he's, he's not really, I don't know. I just felt like he was a, Oh, this is a stupid pun. Why does this keep happening? Dustin, a fly, a fly on the wall, <laughs> a fly on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to his own film. Sure. Um, I would agree, and, and and I think I think the better title for this is the Wasp and Ant Man. Um, yeah, I, I I think I think yeah, maybe it just needs to be flipped, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 it's yeah. Um, they said anyway. It's it's not again. It's not uh, sure. It's not really an even worth mentioning, except for just to me. It's like a little pet peeve. It's like. Yes, balance would be great. I would I would love some sure. balance. I just don't yeah. think I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think you understand what what the kind of balance I'm hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah. this isn't some men's rights thing or whatever. This is me sure. saying um I don't want Ant-Man 3 to to have even less Paul Rudd in it. Like I sure. I, I love Evangeline Lilly. Um I love her in this role. I think she's great. Um but I do, if, if, if nothing else, I'd like to see um, a movie where Scott Lang, especially at this point, um, mm. is a lot more, owns his role and his knowledge a lot more than he yep. has in the previous two films to where he is on equal footing with Hope. Because, you know what, it is true that she's a lot more competent than he is. Yeah. So that can't be ignored. So in that in that sense, I understand the direction that the sequel took, because yeah. you know he 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 worked for the specific purpose they needed him in the first film for the heist. Yeah. But yeah. there's nothing about the second film that requires thievery or any knowledge of a heist. Sure. But now that he's like a quantum expert, and yeah. maybe they can develop you know through some montages or whatever. Uh, I don't sure. know. Do that thing. Sure. Um, ha- have him be smarter and have him actually be on closer intellectual footing with her that would that would be satisfying to me because that i you have to assume this is his last solo film um uh so give me something good i don't know yeah i think i i think where i would go with it you know i would want ant-man and the wasp to both be you know 
to both be equals. Um, so even if that means like having Scott have some sort of inferiority complex or, or whatever it is, and like having to rise above his current station, um, or maybe he, maybe he thinks he's too good, right? Now I've thought Thanos like, yeah, you did too, but I did more, you know, or whatever. I mean, they could go a million different ways with it, but give him like a good, like flaw, to overcome. Um, and, and I would say incorporate the family. So, so you need to, I, I think they have to incorporate Hank and Janet, um, to a very large degree. And also, um, Scott Lang's now more grown daughter, um, and, and, and incorporate her into it and, and, and build like a, a, an Ant-Man family, if you will, um, where, where this becomes a family thing. You know, I know that sounds fantastic four ish, but this may be, I mean, this may be uh, fantastic four ish and that's fine. Um, it, it just has to, I think, incorporate all of those characters in equal measure to, uh, to be satisfying because if, if we don't, I mean, we haven't seen much of his more grown up Cassie, uh, you know, and so if if we don't touch on it at all, it's going to be weird. And if we don't touch on Hank and Janet at all, it's going to be weird. So just bring them all in, let them all be a part of it and bring and let them all be a part of whatever is going on um, to whatever degree. And I don't know about his daughter in the comics at all. Um, I don't know if she ever becomes a superhero or, or whatever, but but just let her tag along. It's fine. Uh, but but incorporate everybody and and again, give give Scott a a flaw that he needs to overcome um, some sort of something that will will further his character and endear him more to us than he currently is. Because because you're right, when you look at Ant-Man and the Wasp or even his appearance in the Avengers movies, um, he's more comedic relief um, than leading man. And so so build him up and let him be a leading man. Um, all right, let's move on. Um, I want to get to the movie you want to talk about tonight. Let's um, do it. So let's talk about, uh, let's do it. Let's talk about Richard Jewell. Richard, you're a national hero now. Thank you, sir. But I was just doing my job. You always look at the guy who found the bomb, just like you always look at the guy who found the body. Jewell fits the profile of the lone bomber. A frustrated white man who is a police wannabe who seeks to become a hero. We're running it. You're a suspect. You don't talk. I talk. Say it. I don't talk. This might be the only way to clear your name. I want you to say there's a bomb in Centennial Park. Yeah. Um, Have you seen Richard Jewell? I have not seen Richard Jewell. All right. So for those of you who don't know, um, that was slurred, but I meant for those of you who don't know, um, Richard Jewell um, came out last year, 2019, directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Billy Ray. Um, not Billy Ray Cyrus, but <laughs> but Billy Ray, um, who, who wrote the first Hunger Games movie. I got, I got um, a great screenplay idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and he also, I think, wrote Captain Phillips and the new Terminator movie, um, Virtuoso. Um, <laughs> lo- lots of things. Um, sure. and anyway, so um, Richard Jewell is the story of Richard Jewell. Um, he is a um, security guard in Atlanta during the 1996 Olympics. And um, when a bomb goes off in Centennial Olympic Park, he is falsely accused of planting the bomb, um, although initially he was reported as a hero who saved many lives. Um, So uh, in this film, Clint Eastwood uh, tells a story um, about a government that essentially terrorizes this man who we know as the audience to be innocent, um, you know, a a well-meaning security guard, um, but whom the U.S. government, the FBI, uh, wants to prove that he was guilty. And the effect that this has on him as a man, um, as well as his family and friends, uh, most notably Kathy Bates plays his mother, um, and I believe she was nominated for an Oscar for this role. Um, she is phenomenal here. 
Um, and, uh, and in fact, they all are. So Richard Jewell is played by Paul Walter Hauser, who you may remember from I, Tanya. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a fantastic job. The film also stars Sam Rockwell, um, Olivia Wilde, John Hamm, um, like I said, Kathy Bates. Um, it's, it's just a who's who of great actors. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, um, a- again, great performances. Um, the screenplay is pretty solid. Um, I, I think it starts a little weird. Um, it's just structure wise. They spend a lot of time before the inciting incident, um, I guess establishing the character, but they, they go really far back and spend a little too much time way back in an area that probably doesn't really matter too much. Um, so it's a little meandering up front. Um, but at the end of the day, um, is a pretty solid screenplay. Um, there are a couple of side characters here. Um, John Hamm and Olivia Wilde, um, they get sort of like a, if you want to do like an A story, B story, C story, like there's just probably the, the smallest, but, um, it's also the least important. Um, and that's notable because you got two really strong actors there to, hopefully elevate this material that's a little bit lacking. Um, and, and they really do their best work to, to elevate that. The problem is, um, the characters are pretty one note. Um, John Hamm is FBI man and that's his, that's his trait. Yeah. I'm stern and stoic and I want what's best for the American people. And Olivia Wilde is the no nonsense Lois Lane reporter who, you know, will, will sleep her way to, you know, a, a good interview with somebody and, and will stop at nothing to have the byline. Like, you know, it's just kind of, these, these are archetypes and they're pretty one note. Um, but having said that, like, you know, again, Olivia Wilde and John Hamm do their best to elevate it. Um, and they do, they do an okay job. Um, really the, the bulk of the, the emotional impact here comes from Sam Rockwell. Um, as expected, he's a heavy lifter. Um, but, but again, most notably Paul Walter Hauser and Kathy Bates. Um, in fact, Kathy Bates almost made me tear up in this. Um, so props to you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, the, the performances are, are obviously the biggest thing here because it's a very like dialogue heavy um, performance type movie. Yeah. Um, but the direction also shouldn't go un, un, unrecognized because um, Clint Eastwood is is a really great director. Um, he's proven that time and time again. Um, and, and he just has a. Um, a way of working with actors that is brilliant. Uh, I once heard, I think it was Olivia Wilde talk about his style, which was, look, I cast you. So I trust you. And so I'm not going to make you do 30 takes. I'm going to make you do one. If you, if you give me what you think is right, I trust you. Right. And, and so, and so these actors are given really big freedom and, and I think it pays off. Um, and beyond just his working with actors, he's a really, um, talented, uh, shot composer. He, he knows how to do it. And he also, um, works well with all the departments like, um, you know, s- score, right? So I, I don't, I'm not sure who scored this film, but, um, it, it, it's, it's, it works. Um, it's not super memorable necessarily, but it works and it's fine. And, and, um, and I think he's really effective at what he does and he knows how to just like wring every drop of emotion out of every moment. Um, and so again, that's largely because of his actors and his relationship with actors, but it's also his shot composition. It's also the way that he moves the camera. It's also the way that he edits and the way he, um, decides when to hold and when to cut. Um, and, and again, allow those actors a little bit of breathing room and, and space to react and space to breathe. Um, so it's, it, it is a really, Really well-told story. Um, Arturo Sandoval. Okay, that's the that's that's the uh, composer. Yeah. Um, so um, you know, I, I here's the thing. I was I, obviously I'm Atlanta native here, so I I know some of the story, but honestly, I've never really gone to look at like what's what do we know um and so this was kind of a good little primer for it from what i can tell it's fairly accurate um and uh, and and honest in its portrayal of everything um 
And so, yeah, I, I, I do recommend this. It's on HBO max. So if you have HBO max, you can see it. Um, it, it's, um, it's not a bad way to spend your time, but, but again, it meanders at the beginning. That first act is rough and it's hard to kind of figure out when things are going to happen to give the story any momentum. Cause it's a lot of like, let's establish character, but the character's already established, so you don't have to keep establishing the character. We get it. He's like a really nice guy who wants to be a cop, but he's just a security guard. Like we get it. Um, and so give I, I didn't time it, but but it's a it's a long chunk of time to just tell us the same thing about this character over and over. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, between that and and some you know underdeveloped characters here and there, um, I, I, I'm just gonna say this movie's fine. Um, you know, l- let's just go like three and a half stars. Okay. Um, and, and, and it's fine. It does what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to make you feel for Richard Jewell. Um, but, but the reason that you're going to watch this is I think because of the performances, if you're interested at all in what Paul Walter Hauser and uh, Kathy Bates would do with this material, um, I think you'll get a lot out of it. So, uh, Richard Jewell, um, it's, it is worth your time. It's not going to change the world. Um, but it's worth your time. I, I like Clint Eastwood movies generally. Um, yeah. um, I, I keyed in on changeling. I remember oh, yeah. like I, yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop talking about changeling. I thought it was, I mean, it's, it's a fairly, you know, generic film, but sure. somehow, uh, I just, I don't know. I had a soft spot yeah. for it. Yeah, um, I always think of like Unforgiven and Gran Torino, um, which I haven't seen since theaters, but I, I remember really liking Gran Torino. Gran Torino. Yeah. Uh, Million Dollar Baby. Again, another another good one. But yeah. uh, American Sniper. I liked that. I, liked that I, I liked American Sniper also. So, um, so yeah. People got mad about American Sniper. I, I thought, yeah, it was a, thought it was a good movie. That was a good movie. Nothing wrong with I it. I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. So, yeah. That was everyone's problem. I don't know. Um, um, do you think so, Richard Jewell? I mean, he wasn't he? He was he? I'm, I'm I was looking at the actual Wikipedia page for him. He died in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird because like I watch a lot of what was it? What was the name of that document? That docu series? It was like uh, it was it was the Innocent Man or something, and it was right. about the Innocence Project. Um, but it was about um these two guys in um, Oklahoma that got put away for like 20 plus years for a couple murders they didn't do. And it was Mm -hmm. largely because the police decided like they had their man. And, um, and it's weird because oddly that's what changing was all about. Like changing was was a true story about how this woman um, about her, how her son never came home. And yeah. she reported him missing, and then the FBI found a kid, and then they said, "Hey, we found your son." And then they yeah. bring him back, and then she's like, "That's not my son." And they're like, "Sure, it is." Sure, it and is. Yeah. they wouldn't admit that they made a horrible mistake, and so yeah. they just doubled down and said, "Listen, that's your son. You're being hysterical, lady." And she's yeah. like, "No, I'm not." And and you know, spoiler alert for for real life, they never found him. Yeah. They yep. never, the kid eventually admits that he pretended to be her son so he could move to Hollywood and, um, they never find her real son. And it was, yeah. a, it was a, in the, the, the LAPD had to admit that they're, yeah, there's the, the LAPD. They had to admit that they didn't know what they were doing and that they were just trying to look good in the press for finding this. They didn't want to admit they couldn't find this kid. And mm-hmm. it seems that he's drawn to, at least recently to movies about, uh, I mean, filmmakers in general are, are drawn to movies where, um, authority is either corrupt or inept and, yep. um, and, 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 f- or for, to say it better flawed, uh, subject to yeah. the subject to human nature and human sure. tendencies as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's inherently dramatic to take somebody that should be on your side and, and paint them as, as the villain. Um, and so that's just inherently dramatic. It makes sense. Um, in this case, Richard Jewell fit the, uh, he sort of fit the bill for a lone bomber, right? He, you know, is like, a uh, a middle-aged man who lives with his mother, um, has no real romantic 
life or social life. Um, he, you know, has guns. He's a gun collector. Um, he wants to, he wants recognition. He wants to be a police officer. Um, and so if he were suddenly a hero, then, uh, suddenly he would maybe see some offers come his way. And so he fits the bill. And so in this case, it was, it was a lot of, um, you know, talking about the real story, like it was a lot of, you know, well, yeah, we think he's our guy. What evidence do you have? Uh, he seems like the guy. Yeah. So, yeah. That segue is pretty nicely, Dustin, into uh, yeah. into my next uh, my next thing here. Do it. <laughs> Which is a, a book that I, I, I just read and that I enjoyed and um, and that uh, deals with this subject very much. Mm. Um, it's called Talking to Strangers, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know. It was mm. written by Malcolm Gladwell, who's, you know, a pretty, pretty, um, not- notable author. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's really good. It's pretty new. Came out, I think last year. Uh, yeah. Yep. 2019. And, um, I read this thing in 10 days and it is, mm. um, which is fast for me. Um, yeah. and, uh, I, I'll, 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 I'll just read you the, uh, Goodreads, uh, little summary here. Oh God, not that entire thing. That's a lot. Okay. Well, um, Um, how did Fidel Castro fool the CIA for a generation? Why did Neville Chamberlain think he could trust Adolf Hitler? Why are campus sexual assault on the rise? Um, do television sitcoms teach us something about the way we relate to each other that isn't true? Um, while tackling these questions, Malcolm Gladwell was not solely writing a book for the page. He was also producing for the ear in the audiobook version. Oh, this for God's sake. Um, something is very wrong. Gladwell argues with the tools and strategies we use to make sense of people we don't know. And because we don't know how to talk to strangers, we are inviting conflict and misunderstanding in ways that have a profound effect on our lives and our world. So if you follow me on Goodreads, like I'm always talking about, um, you know, um, I gave this book five stars. I mm. I enjoyed it. Um, I think that especially if you're interested in stories like Richard Jewell or um, not really Changeling in this sense, but Richard Jewell or um, uh, lots and lots and lots of court cases or um, the couple of stories that, that Gladwell uses in the book, like Sandra Bland and, um, and, uh, um, uh, the, this, this, uh, Fidel Castro thing about this, this spy that the Cubans had, um, in, in, um, the CIA for years and years who, who wasn't, he even says like, in retrospect, she wasn't even that good of a spy. Just mm. everyone, all of her superiors and her contemporaries defaulted to truth. And it's how as human beings, we default to truth and that's how we're so easily fooled or we, how we so easily misjudge other people. Because most of the time we just assume we explain things away because we don't mm. want conflict. And so for a while you think that the book is going to be like, we should trust people less and right. but he ultimately concludes that it's not worth the trade-off if we suddenly decided to distrust people inherently or suspect everyone's motives all the time um mm. we end up in a world where we don't take any action we don't do anything we we can't live our lives um because we're constantly suspicious of each other and um and says and and the and the data would show that the vast majority of the time defaulting to truth is not a bad thing. So trusting yeah. other human beings and trusting their motives, even though it may seem scary and dangerous, you know, like, Oh, that man might have a gun or, Oh, that man looks dangerous. Or, you know, this, what's this guy doing in my neighborhood? Um, even though it may, it may feel scary to default to truth and just give people the benefit of the doubt. The data apparently overwhelmingly shows that situations where that trust can get violated and turned on you is pretty low. Um, and, uh, which is interesting because just cause it, it, it feels counterintuitive. You feel like you should go, no, I don't know this person. I should protect myself from them. Um, uh, it's a really great book. And, um, I, I just think that, that it's, it's such a, it's such a broad topic and at this in a niche topic, it's, you know, mm. talking how we talk to each other. Oh, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty easy to explain. And there's just all this data, all these interactions, all these things that you, that he really breaks down, and analyzes, and he has the transcript of the Sandra Bland traffic stop. He has the policies which are in place in that County and how ultimately like you can blame that cop for, 
for um for really coming down on her and probably um instigating something but if you listen to everything he says um you can hardly blame him for um doing his job and fulfilling his quota to the the extent that he was expected to um so is it his fault for for being anal about his responsibilities or is it the system's fault or is it just human beings who misunderstood each other it's really yeah. fascinating um and uh so when you said you'd seen Richard Jewell it was just another one of those patterns i saw like wow this yeah. sounds a lot like this book you know right right uh, you know, it's funny it's, my wife and I were talking about this fairly recently. I don't, I don't remember exactly how we got to talking about this, but um, I know I know it had something to do with like you know the fact that we're in an election cycle and um, we oh, all are want we? to. I had noticed. Uh, had noticed. <laughs> uh, and 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 you know the the tendency is to like attribute the worst motives to the opposition. Yeah. Um, when in fact the truth is like. You know, if you if you were to ask like, hey, do you want to destroy America? They'll say no. <laughs> no. But then we go, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I've seen your policies. <laughs> but then like, but but it's so much it's so much better if we just accept that people are are telling us the truth when they're talking to us. Yeah. Especially the people that we know and love and you know enjoy the company of. Yeah. Just trust that you know what they're saying to you is true. Yeah, I think I think it would make a huge difference. Um, you know, we were talking about that with like, um, you know, just just in in interaction with your friends and and whatnot, um, or even all the way up to spouses for that matter. Um, if you just trusted what they said, like when they when they say, "Hey, you look good today." Like rather than say, "What? Why? Why would you say that? Like, yeah. what? What? What's your what's your motive? Did what what are you trying yesterday? to get at?" Yeah, did I look bad yesterday? Or or what do you want? Or right. whatever. It's just like, <laughs> well, I'm just want? saying that you look good. Or or even better, if you're if 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 you say like, hey, uh, I like that shirt, or you know, just something super innocuous, and and just trust like, oh, instead of saying no, you don't. It's right. like, oh, okay, yeah, you you probably do. Um, and so anyway, all that to say, like, I, I don't have much of a point there other than like when we were talking about it, it was it was like in terms of the election year, like just trust that that people like the people that you meet, they want what's best for themselves and the people around them and the country at large. And it's tough sometimes to square that with their policies. Right. But but the truth is they do. Um, and and to, to attribute motive to them, like you just want to tear down everything that we hold dear or you just want to whatever. It's like, no. No, they probably don't want that. Yeah. I mean, the, the most you can probably suspect of other people is like, you say you want these things and it's not that I don't believe you. It's I don't believe the why. I don't believe yeah, the why. Sure. But at the same time, it's like Gladwell says in the book, like you could be right, but but it ultimately, that ultimately isn't a productive way to think because um, – I mean, and, and and that's, I mean, I feel like that's common sense. If you really extrapolate right. that thought process, you know, yep. if you're going to distrust everyone's, everyone's stated objectives and stated motives, yep. and you just go around life thinking like, I can't trust anything anybody says, right? those people who think that think they have life figured out. They're like, I just won't trust anyone. I'm only looking out for myself and everyone. I'm at, Sherlock Holmes. I can deduce yeah, information. I everyone yep. I know who, who thinks like that. I can tell is miserable because, because they can't connect, they can't like, they don't have any like deep relationships with anybody because they don't trust anybody. And because they don't trust anybody, they're always suspicious. And so they're always on their toes and you know, that's doing something to their cortisol and, and their blood pressure and, um, stress hormones and, and and the other people don't want to be around them because no one likes to feel like they're being examined every time guessed. they talk to somebody. Oh, yeah. yeah. All this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if you just say something simple and then you just like watch them stare at you and like try to figure you out, it's like, all right, bye then. Right. I, cool. I tried. I, I tried to be your friend. Yeah. You, and you just peed on me beat on my right. face with your, <laughs> with your doubts. <laughs> All right. Um, speaking of being peed on, um, let's, let's talk, let's talk about an American pickle. I don't, is I that, don't know the segue there. Does that track? Nope. It doesn't. <laughs> 
Okie dokie then. Let's let's talk about it All anyway. Right. <laughs> let's keep on going. Um. We are the Greenbounds, and we have American dream. I find good job in Pico Factory. Sarah, I make this vow. In 100 years, our family will prosper. And then one day, everything changed. It's been 100 years. An American pickle. I knew that, also was, I knew that on... was a reach. <laughs> you, you were just hoping. Like I haven't seen I was this. Like, well, is Seth Rogen is in the film twice. So in this film? there was twice as likely that one of his characters would pee on someone. Correct. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so, they do not, I guess. Right. Um, you know, he doesn't even really do his trademark laugh at all in this in this movie. That's weird. Um, which does he, is strange. Does he do a different laugh? Like no, he's just. <laughs> I feel like th- I feel like he's trying to be like. This is my artistic uh, Oscar <laughs> this graph. This one's for the Oscars. Yeah. So so he's like, I, I can't laugh because the second I go, uh, uh, everyone everyone tunes out. Excuse me. I uh, I had to, something in my throat because I have uh, emphysema. That's uh, <laughs> just just clear my throat there. Yep. That's the that's the physical defect my character has because I read that you need one of those to win an Oscar. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Remember that time I played a character with poor lungs? <laughs> you mean all the time? Yeah. Sure. Uh, an American Pickle. An American Pickle, um, directed by Brandon Trost. Um, Brandon Trost, I believe this is his first film, if I'm not mistaken. Um, his first feature. Um, he actually comes from the world of cinematography. Um, and I don't have his re- resume pulled up, but but regardless, this is his first feature, um, and uh, it's written by Simon Rich based on his book Sellout. Um, an American Pickle tells the story of a um, a man. Uh, his name is Herschel Greenbaum, and he uh, lives a uh, hundred years ago, and uh, and and then one day he and his wife. Uh, Sarah moved to uh, New York. They come through Ellis Island and do the whole thing. And he, he, he with a promise of a better life, he gets a job at a pickle factory um, where he uh, where he smushes and kills the rats that are running rampant in the pickle factory. And um, and he gets paid for every rat he kills. And uh, the Lord's he, work. Yes, and he falls into a uh, a vat of pickles, and immediately before he can even reach the surface, the vat of pickles is sealed up, and the oh, building is condemned and lies vacant. And it lies vacant for a hundred years. A <laughs> um, hundred years pass. They don't even clear out the inventory. Nope, it just stays there. Wow. Um, and so, a hundred years later, a couple of uh, ne'er do well kids are flying their their fancy drone through a window, <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. and it, and it flies right into the lid of the pickle vat and opens it up, and he uh, reemerges. <laughs> um, so, uh, w- what follows is uh, a a scene where uh, he reveals himself to the world that he is this one hundred year old man um, who's been pickled, and uh, and so how does he, he conv- how does he like convince the world that he's actually a oh it, ju- it just cuts to, it just cuts to him at a press conference and there's a doctor there and the doctor explain and everyone's like this seems unrealistic and the doctor <laughs> says no let me explain using no, this graph i read the script and, <laughs> yeah he, and he's like if you see this graph here and he like points to it and then his voice just fades away and it's just like herschel staring out into the crowd and, he, and he's narrating and he's like the doctor explained everything and then it cuts back to the audience and then they're like oh that makes perfect sense now oh, wow and, and like that's all it is it's <laughs> just like ex- just suspend your disbelief they whatever ju- they just said i i'm not i'm not writing exposition we're not going to give you an explanation he falls into a pickle vat and wakes up whatever um and so so he wakes up and and um hoping to reunite with his family um finds out he's been pickled for 100 years and the only his closest living relative is his great great grandson um 
also played by Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two Seth Rogans um, meet and realize how different they are. Um, they, they initially find a few similarities, but then how different they are. And, and what goes on from there is a, um, it's a person. I could tell it's sort of a personal thing. I mean, I know that that Seth Rogen didn't write it, but it feels personal. It feels like the story of of a man who feels like to his ancestors he is a poor excuse of um, of a Jew and a yeah. poor excuse of of a man, and uh, and you know, kind of vice versa, where um, meeting your ancestors is not quite as cool as you would think it would be. And so, um, and so, you know, what, what, uh, what follows is, is sort of sitcom level. Um, oh, I got myself in a jam kind of a thing. And, uh, and what are we going to do here? And, uh, look, I mean, it, the film's fine. It, it's fine, but it doesn't do enough with the plot and it kind of, I, I can I can forgive in a comedy the suspension of disbelief of like, oh, he fell into a pickle vat and we're not even going to explain the science behind this because there is no satisfactory science behind this. But but then like not explaining. Um, so so I'll just give you this. So Herschel um, decides to make pickles in America to make money. That'll be his job. He knows how to make pickles, so he'll make pickles. Um, and and then it's like this little montage where he becomes super successful, um, but they never really explain like how this man who doesn't know anything about the world could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it just kind of like glosses over a lot of the inherent like interesting things of waking up a hundred years in the future um like to me that's an interesting premise and it's interesting for seth rogan's younger character to meet um his great-grandfather and and you know what was life like for you and all this stuff and they don't do anything with that it becomes a sitcom plot um and and I guess if you were expecting that, maybe it's fine, but, um, but it's weird because it's, it's a sitcom-y plot that's wrapped in this air of like pretension where we're going to pretend we, we could like be nominated for an Oscar for this. Right. Um, and look, it's Seth Rogen playing two roles and, um, you know, it's, but, but the roles aren't, aren't that different. I mean, they are, but one has an accent and one doesn't is about the extent of it. Um, one doesn't know what an iPod is and the other one does like it doesn't really like, there's not a lot of depth there. Um, but, um, but as a comedy, uh, there's, there are a few solid laughs in here. Um, and like I said, the sitcom plot may turn some people off. It turned me off. Um, but, uh, because the, the film's only an hour and a half. Uh, which is fine. You shouldn't have a super long movie with this plot, but, um, but because like you couple like an hour and a half with a sitcom plot that doesn't really hit as hard as it should, or it's not really as goofy or fish out of watery as it should be. Um, it doesn't, it never feels impactful. Um, and so there's a few moments where it's like, Oh, I can tell I should be feeling emotion here, but I don't. And right. it feels to me similar to like a movie from the 90s where uh, like a character would like sit down and there'd be some piano music playing and they'd like look over photos, like old family photos and and tear up. And it's like, OK, I guess I guess the character feels something, but I don't. Um, and just because you have like piano music playing doesn't, and then the characters crying doesn't mean I have any emotional connection to any of this. Um, and so, you know, all, all that to say, I mean, there are, like I said, a, a few solid laughs, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's just not really worth it. Um, even for an hour and a half, um, I think, you know, if we decided to do a spoiler uh, like podcast on this, um, I could explain the full plot like in detail in maybe 10 minutes and, and you would feel like, Oh, okay. I saw that. 
Um, it's really not very deep and it's really not very impactful or emotional. Um, and so maybe if you have this lived experience of being, you know, a Jewish man who's sort of at odds with his, you know, religious upbringing or at odds with, you know, this lineage that goes way back in this religion, um, you know, yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe you'll feel, a little more emotionally connected to this than I did. But at the end of the day, um, I, I think it's the film's job to make all people connect emotionally, um, regardless of whether you're a part of the demographic or not. Um, and I would argue that the demographic here, this film was not made just for Jewish people like in their, you know, forties. So, um, so, um, yeah, I, I, um, I have to, I have to give this like, you know, two stars. It, 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 I I see what it was going for, but it didn't quite hit it. And it's not enough to make me angry. It was just enough for it to be forgettable. It sucks because you mentioned like what, what, what would be disappointing about the movie is what you expect to get out of it. Because I, I, like you saw the marketing and I expected like, all right, well, this is a film on HBO max and this is, you know, the subject matter seems seems like like what you're describing to me sounds like something it's like well why didn't a studio just make this yeah like why wouldn't this be a, theat- a theatrically forget the pandemic why wouldn't this be sure. a theatrically released film if, yeah. if the plot and the conceit devolves into a sitcom-esque comedy yeah. instead of going towards the more serious implications of if something like this really happened so yeah. the fact that it was on a streaming service yeah. told me a studio doesn't think a general audience will see or accept this. Mm. And so it's being put on streaming because the content might be more nuanced and therefore better. Yeah. And when you tell me that, no, it's still just kind of lowbrow. Yeah. Then to me, it's like, then why is it on streaming services? Because their yeah. their their best utility is giving the audience something that they want, but that studios don't think that they want. Right. Improving the studios wrong. Instead, it goes, no, no, not that either. Yeah. So, but so part of it is like I don't think the studios make movies like this anymore. Like I'd imagine this is fairly low budget. You know, there's right. not a lot of, of you know, there's just not a lot in terms of like production value in this. Um, it's like oh, it's a guy's apartment, and oh, now we're outside on location in 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 New York. Okay, well, fine, but. I'd imagine the budget's pretty small. The only way I think the studio system would make a film like this is with somebody like Judd Apatow involved. Um, you know, if if he were involved in this, which as far as I know, he's not. Um, if he were involved in this, like his name, I think, would would impress some people and and get it made. But at the end of the day, I think what we're stuck with is is an actor, I know Seth Rogen is a producer on this, mm-hmm. is an actor who said, oh, I want to make that movie. I'm going to go wherever they'll let me make it. And um, and you're right. It's just not the studio system. He doesn't he doesn't have the the producing power of an Apatow, um, even though he's in most of Apatow's movies. He, he, he doesn't have the producing power of, of Judd. And so, um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting um, because this does feel like a streaming movie. Like, you know, some movies just have that feeling. Yeah. That's this. It feels like a streamer and, and it sucks because at the same time, like I wanted a couple different things from this. Um, I wanted it to be a good fish out of water story. Like think something like my cousin Vinny, like a, a good fish out of water story is always fantastic. Um, and, and, and you don't get that here. You want it to be funny because it's Seth Rogen and an inherently kind of zany plot, right? A guy got pickled like that's zany, but then for it to also have this air of like, we want an Oscar and here's some legit drama. It just tonally is confused because I don't think you can have, you know, a scene where a guy, you know, chasing rats falls into a vat of 
of pickles and then and then have like a super touching scene, you know, where, you know, we're pouring over family photos and like it's just it just totally inconsistent. Um, and and, you know, I don't think it's much of a spoiler. I don't I don't I haven't seen the trailer for this in a long time. So maybe this is revealed in the trailer, but I don't think it, it would be spoiler to say that uh, one of these Seth Rogan's is is the antagonist of the film. Mm. Um, and, and so I kind of wanted it to be like a buddy movie where they're learning about each other, like planes, trains, and automobiles where like by the end of it, they're going to be a little bit closer than, you know, and that's kind of what I wanted, but I got like two Seth Rogans fighting with each other, which again is inherently a funny zany idea, yeah. but then to ground it in like a drama right. is weird. Hmm. It just doesn't, it's just not consistent. So an American pickle to me, like, I feel like if you're a big Seth Rogen fan and you really want to see what something that may be a little more personal from him would look like, this might be for you. Um, but you know, if you're also looking to just kill an hour and a half, maybe, but I think there are better ways to kill an hour and a half. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't really say I recommend it. Um, Every time you say the word pickle, first of all, I laugh. But then also, <laughs> I think of this thing that uh, that that someone showed me when I back when I worked in maintenance in this upstairs room, um, and it uh, it used to be like a computer lab back when it was used at the school, and um, a lot of the ceiling tiles were missing because they had mm. been pulled and used and whatever, and sure. uh, one of the other maintenance men had told me that he went up there one time to find a tool or something and there's a lot of what's in there are these giant open buckets of bleach and he says one time um he says one time he 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 told me what he found he said well i think what happened he found like a an um a hairless squirrel in one of them just perfectly preserved and and pickled and he says i think what happened was they came through the ceiling and he tried to make a jump and he didn't make it and he fell into the bucket because all his hair immediately, you know, came out and yeah. he's just in there. And so yeah. that was the first thing I thought of when I saw this trailer. Every time he said the word pickle, I kept thinking of that pickled, pickled squirrel. A pickled squirrel. And, um, and it's <laughs> just, <laughs> just disgusting. And, um, yes. and, uh, also that, and to me that, um, the way my stomach felt when he told me that story was also a two star. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> accurate. All right. Um, that's going to have to do it tonight um, for the Hooper cast movie hour. Um, yeah. If you like the show, tell people, please, please yep. help. Help us. Help us. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, have a good week and uh, watch some cool movies. And uh, we might have some cool stuff to talk about next week. Yeah. Woo. All right, everybody. Good, e- good evening. Good night. Good evening and good night. Goodbye.